Hello and welcome to, or welcome back to, The Essentials Podcast. I am your host, Maddie Flint, and today is all about art and sciences, how they work together, why I love note-taking, and how to take effective notes. And the methods of note-taking that I'm going to talk about um, later on are not specifically for, or I should say not just for, arts and sciences. You don't have to be a science major, you don't have to be an artist to be able to benefit from the things that I'm going to discuss in this episode. So to begin, I'm just going to talk about art itself for a little bit. So there are seven elements of art. These seven elements are line, shape, form, space, value, color, and texture. These elements are the essential components or building blocks of any artwork. Kind of like how amino acids and proteins are the building blocks of DNA, these elements are the building blocks of art. And any good artwork should consist of these seven ingredients, if you will. With line, it can be long or short, thick or thin, straight, whatever. A thick line gives emphasis and advances while a thin line recedes. A straight line, on the other hand, is more um, dynamic and rarely found in nature. That's really important. A curved line. These change in direction gently with no sharp angles, and this suggests comfort and ease to the viewer. You have zigzag lines. Those alter direction fast and create feelings of unrest, turmoil, and movement. You could see that in Theodore Gerichault's Raft of the Medusa, which in the world of art history is one of the greats, and you should check it out if you have never seen it before. And moving on with the lines though, diagonal lines, they give movement and dynamics to a composition. Horizontal lines, they create a feeling of stability and calmness. Vertical lines, they give the impression of height and strength, sometimes or most often have some sort of spiritual connotation. Imaginary lines, they can be implied, and this can be done by composition. An artist may put things in a certain order or, or create some kind of perspective that is going to draw the viewer's eye in a certain direction, and maybe that's in some form of line. Um, there's three-dimensional lines that creates depth. That's something that could be seen in any of Rembrandt's works. And you could look into this for as long as you want. You'll always find some kind of line in everything except straight lines in nature. You're not going to find anything organic that's like perfectly vertical or anything because it doesn't exist in nature. Just to give you a little bit of information on how these elements of art actually are seen in, in life and are also used in paintings to portray things like movement or any other element. And to talk about briefly some of the other elements in our um, placement is really important because if you put something higher up on the picture plane it's going to seem further away than objects placed lower in the picture plane. That all has to do with perspective. Size, if you make something small and put it kind of higher up in the picture plane that's going to seem further away than a larger object. Color and value, if you nail the colors and get everything as close to reality as you can then I feel like you can have a little bit more freedom to play with perspective. The perspective doesn't have to be perfect every single time, but if you have the colors right, it just gives off a different essence, and I really like that. 
painting style, but that's just me. Art is not objective, it's subjective. So that's where it differs from science in general, because science is objective. Usually in an experiment, you're measuring some kind of data and and then you get the results, you do the calculations, you can't get a number and be like, I don't think it should be that, I think it's this. Like, there's really no wiggle room when you're doing something quantitative like that. But sciences and the art does definitely overlap. And it's a really cool relationship. So I just want to talk about the psychology behind art for a minute. The relationship between art and psych is one of creativity and perception. Art is a product of a person's mind and a reflection of inner inspiration. And that is where psychology comes into play. So when we tend to read poetry or listen to music or look at a painting, we try to relate it to something from some incident of life. Even if you're not trying to do that, it does happen almost subconsciously. Similarly, the artist also expresses the innermost feelings through the colors, the texture, the lines, the stroke, the words, the tones, and much more that goes into a piece of art. And these aspects can be studied from different interpretations to reach the point of accuracy, which helps you understand the mind of the artist. And there's a ton that you could read into about art and psychology, but analyzing art is like a science. And how is that? Well, first off, I believe science is in everything. I love it because you see it all the time and you use it more than you think. Public schools, though, they make science into its own category. Bio, biochem, earth science, and chemistry. If you're good at those, along with the STEM math classes, that's gonna make you quote unquote smart and good at science. But science is not only defined as the intellectual and practical activity encompassing the systematic study of the structure and behavior of the physical and natural world through observation and experiment, but also as a systematically organized body of knowledge on a particular subject. If you love finding things out or listening and learning about something and you want to research it more and more, and you're taking steps to learn more information on a deeper level, that whole process is a scientific process. So we've all heard of the scientific method. Whether or not it's like fresh in your memory, it is a method of procedure that has characterized natural science since the 17th century, consisting in systematic observation, measurement, and experiment, and the formulation, testing, and modification of hypotheses. So this can be used for anything, not just a lab about osmosis. Because I'm talking about art already, I'll just use that as the example. But in art history, you're observing the works, you're taking the quote unquote measurements, which in this case would be documenting the size, the materials, the date, the location, the subject, etc. Sometimes carbon dating is used to test for age. So there's your testing. Or if restoration was done to something, then you're still testing for that. And after researching a piece, you are going to get new knowledge about it. So there you're modifying your hypothesis. The principles of science to me are something that everybody should be taught in school, not just for STEM, but in general, because knowing how to analyze something is super beneficial. And that is because you can apply these skills to your everyday life. So this next part, I just want to dive into analytical skills briefly, but it runs into note-taking. 
So analytical skills refer to an individual's ability to identify a problem, investigate to find out relevant facts and information, and find a logical solution. No matter what your career field is, being good at analysis means being able to examine a large volume of data and identify the trends in that data. Demographics, politics, history, public policy, math, art, architecture, any field of science, history, language, education, linguistics, philosophy, anything. When you're taking notes, sometimes you may not know what parts to write down or why you're even taking notes on it because maybe your professor is talking too fast or your teacher is flying through the material and you're trying to write down every single word because you think if you write down more, you'll remember more, but no. That method is ineffective and stressful and I know that because I am speaking from experience. But taking notes and taking notes the correct way is beneficial because you're getting both hemispheres of the brain to work together, and both sides are vital to mastering effective note-taking by doodling present-mindedly. There are so many different ways to take notes that schools do not teach their students. There are certain layouts that some people will feel super comfortable with that helps them get organized, and others that just won't work well for them, but a lot of students don't even have the opportunity to find out which ones work and which ones don't. Different formats can create order on a page, and our brains like to use pattern to learn. This is where science has come into play again. Our brains create meaning from patterns we see, or at least we think we see, in nature. And that's an article from Shermer, 2008. Pattern recognition is imperative to learning. That's why creating some form of order in note-taking helps with taking information in better. So now you have art and science. Most of the art people find visually pleasing has a strong usage of balance, contrast, emphasis, unity, movement, and rhythm. Those are the principles of design, so there's your science in designing. Using techniques such as color coding and adding pictures in notes will further strengthen effective note-taking habits. I'm just thinking this podcast would actually make a wonderful Venn diagram, <laughs> um, because there's so many similarities that overlap within science and art and note-taking and investigating so there really is a ton to learn about all the time but this is a great quote that i found online by brown 2015 if it feels like you forget new information almost as quickly as you hear it even if you write it down that's because we tend to lose almost 40% of new information within the first 24 hours of first reading or hearing it. If we take notes effectively, however, we can retain and retrieve almost 100% of the information we receive. So that is very, very noticeable in the way that public schools operate because they don't emphasize the teaching of note-taking in itself. They just include it as a part of the class that students are just supposed to do. So it makes sense why from year to year or even week to week, students are gonna forget the material and the units that they're taught. And by the time the end of the year arrives for them and the testing starts, students are scrambling to find whatever little notes they tried to take or old homework lessons and relearn a year's worth of material that was mostly forgotten. There are some teachers though who do a great job in having their students document things throughout the lessons every day and it's really effective. But most of the time kids are trying to find their way and trying to find what works for them the most at home 
while they are getting crushed by homework. They're not learning how to take good notes in school. And I just want to talk about the different styles of note-taking themselves. There's the outline method, and that's the most common style of taking notes. It helps you organize your notes in a structured form, in a timely manner, with bullet points. And you could even do the whole, like, the title. You could do that bold and then do A and B underneath, or bullet points, and then, like, numbers. There's also the mind mapping method, and this method helps you to organize your notes by dividing them into branches. And some people like to see that centralized idea and then have a line, a diagonal line branching off of that with something like a subfield or the subject matter underneath that central idea up on top of that branch. And it helps you establish relationships between the topics. Then there's the Cornell method. That is a unique method since it can be used in a variety of situations and in this method you'll divide your page into three or four sections. Then there's the sentence method. With this note-taking method you're going to write every new thought onto a new line to separate your thoughts and key ideas with the use of concise sentences. I would not do that. That's That wouldn't work for me, I don't think. Um, then there's the charting method. That's perfect if you need to transform a lot of information into facts and statistics. That one would take a little bit more time, but it will be very organized. And if you are a parent or a guardian who is homeschooling students, um, I think it would be really great to include just a few lessons on note-taking and the different styles of it and just see what the students really like. Because you, as a homeschooling parent, are in charge of creating your child's curriculum. And you can include the foundations that public schools don't normally have. Um, some of these things you might see in college. I know that I had an English class that was like a workshop class last semester, or last year, oh my goodness, <laughs> um, that did have a small section on how to take notes that felt comfortable. And we did learn you can do like speech bubbles and then do the whole branching method or do like dividing your paper into sections and stuff. But because I homeschooled, I was familiar with some of those styles because my mom let me experiment with how I learned. And finding the most comfortable way to take notes is super effective in retaining information. By taking notes, this teaches you how to prioritize. So this is observation and analyzing. Just keep in mind that not each and every word should be noted down. This again is a skill you'll need to master so as to discern what is important enough to be noted down as a key concept and how it's related to what you have already written. You need the essentials. And you can take notes on anything. Travel sketching, for example, is like taking notes. You record, draw or paint, the key parts of the scene, when this would be like the lecture, the lesson, the speech, the project. You don't need to have every little thing painted down, like people's faces if they're like a distant shape in the scene. You don't need to have every word of the lesson that you're hearing written down in your notes. You just need those key elements. Those are the things that are going to give you an overall idea or knowledge of the scene that you're sketching or the lesson that you're learning. You want the atmosphere of the scene, the big shapes, the lighting, the movement. So you're going to observe the subject for that and you're going to experiment with it. 
So here's the little scientific process. When you go somewhere new to paint, your brain is taking in all these new surroundings, you're making new impressions. This is your hypothesis. And as you document it, you analyze it and draw it and you begin to modify your hypothesis, you filter out the words that you don't need. You record the essentials. Your brain will remember these feelings and the artist again can express his or her innermost feelings through the colors, textures, strokes, words, and tones used. This is aesthetics, a set of principles concerned with the nature and appreciation of beauty, especially in art. So this is all about perception and that circles back to psychology. So everything really is overlapping and it's really cool. And as I think I've mentioned before in a past episode, there is a growing subfield of science that's called neuroaesthetics that focuses on how art affects our brains. So that's super cool. I hope to do some research in that field in the coming years. And I just want to leave you guys with a quote by Dante. And that is, he listens well who takes notes. And those six words do mean a lot. So just to wrap up, we now know that art can be like a science. Travel painting is like note-taking. Note-taking and science go hand in hand because of analysis and observation. All of these things have to do with all five of our senses. And there's always new material that our brain is taking in all the time. And once you learn how to discern what's very important that helps you understand something fully and be able to write that down, the way that you learn is going to be a lot better. And learning is going to be more fulfilling and you're going to want to engage in it more once you get these skills down. So I hope you guys learned something new. I think this was a really exciting topic because I'm interested in all of these things. And I hope that it sparked your creative processes as well. And once again, thank you guys for listening. It's greatly appreciated. Be sure to check out my next episode that will be up on the BMG Network next week. And check out all the other great podcasters that are on the BMG Network as well. But thank you again and enjoy your weekend.